Welcome to Farscape Friday, episode 23, Mind the Baby. I'm Kay, here with my co-host Taz. Hello. Let's get started. Welcome back. A quick summary of Mind the Baby. John and Dargo are stuck on an asteroid, with Aaron running back and forth to find food. However, in reality, she is communicating with Crace on Talon, and when John and Dargo find out, they immediately go and take Crace off Talon. Meanwhile, Moya returns to the asteroid field to find her baby, and Scorpius grows closer and closer to finding all of them. Season 2! Here we come! I love season 2. So this episode picks up a couple days after we've left John and Dargo hanging in space. Moya's on her way back. She seems to be having a little trouble. Scorpius is still looking for them very ominously. And for all the grand cat and mouse goings on that we still have in Mind the Baby, the episode is actually a family drama about who gets custody of Talon. I mean, that's the plot. On the one hand, you have Uncle Crace, who kidnapped Talon at the end of Family Ties. And then you have Auntie Erin, who Crace makes a deal with to get her help managing him. And then you have Moya, his mom, who will risk everything to get him back. And so that's the interplay we see basically coming out here in Mind the Baby. Yeah, and I think that one of the strongest parts of this episode for me, and the thing I want to talk about first, is Crace. Because we've known Crace for season one as kind of this really weak villain, and we've discussed a lot how his physicality was really at odds with kind of the peacekeeper straight by the books, everybody dressed the same, hair the same, you know, clothing the same, everything perfect, with the peacekeeper perfection. And so Crace is kind of, was kind of this odd, odd man out kind of thing. And in this episode, we see a Crace that we haven't seen before, because he is the tactician, he is planning, he is double-crossing everyone, <laughs> and, then, and then eventually he wins. I mean, spoiler alert, yeah. I assume that everybody has seen this episode, but you know, Crace wins the baby. I like bringing up Crace's physicality again because here, visually, he's well-groomed. Like, his hair is slicked back. It's not falling all over the place. It's neatly put. He's wearing a uniform again. It's all put together. He's not in some weird bathrobe. He doesn't look like he just rolled out of bed depressed. And I think part of it is, in his own mind, you know, he's put to rest his vengeance quest against Crichton. He no longer feels the need to to go out of his way to try and hunt John down. And part of him that was coming unhinged because of his need for vengeance has settled down. And now I think we're getting back to who he was as a peacekeeper captain and the man who did race through the ranks. I think we talked about this a little in Family Ties. You know, he, he raised to the rank of captain for a reason. And we're really starting to see that come out to play and mind the baby. So this is Crace the captain. This is Crace the commander. This is Crace pre-John Crichton. This is Crace pre-John Crichton ruining his life. And I just love how twisty and turny he is because in the past he hasn't seemed very peacekeeper-like, but it seems 100% peacekeeper that he is working with Aaron and he's like, oh, Aaron, come be on my ship. We'll go into space together. And Aaron is kind of like, <laughs> and he's like trying to like sweet, you know, like he's trying to sweet talk her into that. And then he immediately does this like flip and he's talking to Scorpius. So Scorpius knows where he is. And initially when you first see him talking to Scorpius, you're like, oh no, he actually very much is going to betray 
them all. This is all a big plot. But then he's lying to Scorpius. He's he's saying, you know, Scorpius is like, well, we know where you are. Tell us where John Crichton is. And Crace is like, well, Aaron won't tell me where she hid him. But we already know from Aaron that Crace was the one that told Aaron where the asteroid that had atmosphere was. Right. Right. So he knows exactly where they are. Yeah. And it's just this great twist. Yeah. And this, and I love it because it also just introduces immediately this ambiguity about the role Crace is playing both in this episode and where his character is going in the future. Because I remember watching this the first time and like feeling so freaked out that Crace was in control and that he was still on Talon and still there. And what is he planning and just completely not trusting him at all. And I think that mistrust is borne out in how he's playing both sides against each other here. Well, I don't even know if they're against each other, but playing both sides, as it were. Mm-hmm. And you're right about it being initially really freaky. Because it is. It's such an about face from what we've seen. I think this is a really good way that the series is redeeming Crace. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. I think that if we didn't have this episode, then what happens next with him or even just the end of this episode wouldn't make any sense. Like if mm-hmm. if it had ended and fam- if let's say it had ended with family ties and Chris just disappears with Talon and then we have no idea what's going on we would be like wait a second, Chris, the guy that's losing his mind, the guy that can't put his hair together, this is the guy that's in control of Talon, but then we have this episode that does show him to be a much more formidable commander. Mhm. Yeah. And not only that, but we also get to learn a lot about Talon in this episode, too. So so Talon's freaking out even after he goes with Krace. And Krace actually, we say Krace kidnapped him, but Krace talked Talon into going with him away from Moya. It's like, we can save your life if we go deeper into the asteroid field kind of thing. And so Talon's still freaking out. He doesn't really trust Krace to begin with. And that's why Krace ends up bringing Aaron in, is because Talon and Aaron already have a bond. And so that's why the main reason why Crace is making a deal deal with Aaron. And so there's this other voice going on with Talon and Talon's big question is, you know, who do I listen to? Who Who is the devil on my shoulder and who is the angel on my shoulder here in this situation? And I love that it's kind of ambiguous, even with Crace, because he isn't necessarily the devil we the audience think he is to Talon, because from Talon's perspective, all Crace wants to do is protect him from Scorpius and the peacekeepers. Yeah. And so actually that kind of Crace versus Aaron dynamic is something I want to talk about. I want to play a quick clip. Aaron goes out on the prowler and she comes to Talon. And initially we're kind of like, what's going on? Crace is having a lot of trouble with Talon. And Aaron just has an entirely different take on it. And it really is kind of showing the angel versus devil dynamic going on. And don't suggest that we simply abandon them because that was not part of our arrangement. We can't leave just yet. Talon is still too immature. No weapons, no starburst, and he continues to ignore my commands. You can't command a Leviathan, you can only persuade. Talon is part Leviathan, part peacekeeper. He was designed to take orders. Why don't you let me talk to him? Alone? No. I'm willing to share command of Talon. I will not relinquish it. So you can kind of see there, 
Aaron's perspective is you cannot command a Leviathan. But now we have Krace the commander who <laughs> all he can do is command at this point. Krace doesn't work by persuasion. Or let me clarify, because he, he later on in the episode, he does work by persuasion. Okay. So, um, and you have Krace the commander because Krace doesn't work by, oh, please do this. Oh, it's for your best interest. Krace works by, you're going to do what I say when I say it. Because mm-hmm. Talon is still fundamentally a Leviathan who is a beast of burden to the peacekeepers. They they are enslaved. They have harnessed. They are, they now carry weapons. It In order to be in service, the Le- Leviathans, from the peacekeepers' perspective and Krace's perspective, exist to serve the peacekeepers. You know, there's that hierarchy of hierarchy of species going on. And that's one of the things that Krace is finding so frustrating because Talon is not listening to him and doing as he is supposed to do. And Aaron, meanwhile, can talk with him. And the little bit just before that conversation, she's the one who figures out why that Talon is upset. And she does it. She's very calm. She's very gentle with him. She's like, hey, we're trying to help you out here. Just let us know what's going on. We got to talk to us. Basically, a use your words conversation in the equivalent of Leviathan. Mm-hmm. And, and that works because she isn't, she isn't yelling at him. And that's what Krace does at the beginning, that his instinct is to order and to yell. Yeah. Which obviously doesn't work very well. Yeah. In the end, after all the rest of the plot, which I think we're going to get to in a minute, mm-hmm. there's this moment where it really comes down to who Talon is going to choose. And so they, Aaron and Krace are both on Talon. And this like super creepy, like, I mean, creepy, 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 like, like hand thing comes up out of the floor. It looks like a snake. Let's be honest. It looks like a snake and that's why it's so creepy. <laughs> yeah. It's like a snake. It's like the snake thing comes it's out and it's wire. got like, ugh. Yeah. And it's got like this like super creepy, like giant, how would you, like a spider thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's like a, a disc with, with like wires coming all out the, the side of it. Like kind of like a bug or a spider, but big, you know, it's size of a hand. Yeah, very. And I think Crace even calls it the hand of friendship. It has this very poetic name. Yeah. And <laughs> it comes up and it's basically the neural interface for whoever Talon chooses to be his captain. Mm-hmm. And throughout this plot, which we'll we'll get to in a bit, he's, he ends up he ends up choosing Crace at this point. And Crace is the one who gets this this neural interface to be Talon's captain and to be his companion on their journeys. And he kicks Aaron off the ship. Yeah, Talon choose ends up choosing Grace and he and he very explicitly chooses Grace. This isn't like this isn't like, oh, well maybe he actually meant for both of them. Like this was an either or situation and he chose Grace. <laughs> and Grace's yeah. first act of command is to kick Aaron off. The neural interface is interesting because the neural interface means that Talon doesn't need a pilot. Mm-hmm. that Talon doesn't need a pilot in the sense of Moya's pilot. He doesn't need that species to pilot him. He can just immediately interface with the peacekeepers. So yeah. he really is a much different, he really is a much different species than Moya is. Yeah. Yeah. He really is a hybrid of the peacekeepers and that comes through very clearly. So, so that's the main Krace plot line. And there's some parts of that that are missing that we'll fill in as we, we talk about the rest of the episode. So let's kind of go back to the beginning, because one of the other major themes I think that carries over from family ties is this 
theme of friendship and the the theme of family and where all the characters start in season two is is where they end where they ended in season one, which is also very far place from where they began in season one when they all didn't trust each other. So here we have John and Dargo alone on the asteroid. Aaron is out talking with Crace. Dargo has been unconscious for days. He's he was you know out in the middle of space. He, without a spacesuit, his species can survive for a little while. He's been unconscious for days now. And then he wakes up. And he wakes up and John is like overjoyed to see him. And you see the connection between the two of them so immediately. They're they're friends here. They're like happy to see each other and so happy they made it through alive. And you know, they're like bragging about just joining the gamut base. And it's just they're they're very much the OT broship is I guess the way to put it that you have from John and Dargo. And that's one of one of the things that's really different from where they were at the beginning of season one, where they're like, Hey, you know, you are this useless creature to me. I'm going to kill you if you step out of line. And here they are just so happy to see each other. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's even different from the middle of season one where, you know, you've got episodes like the Western where they're like, well, we're never going to be friends ever. (laughs) I don't want to be your friend. (laughs) Yeah. So they're never going to be friends. And then now they're like besties. And it actually starts on this really disorienting shot. I mean, I love all the shots on the asteroid. They're, They're all framed and it they're all in frames almost and mm-hmm. like it'll be framed by a doorway or it'll be framed by a piece of metal, you know, that the camera yeah, is looking you're, through. You're seeing it through all these different angles that are partially obscured. And it just really gives this feeling of being trapped. Do you know what I mean? That whenever, whenever a camera yeah. is framed like that, it, it makes you feel claustrophobic. It makes it feel smaller than it is. And so it starts with Dargo waking up and it's really disorienting because the camera is like spinning around him and he's like, what, where am I? And he's like screaming and John is like, you're okay. And he kind of looks at John and he's like, are we dead? (laughs) And John is like, no, 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 we're alive. And, um, and then, but then it does give like a really, a really good way of doing that. As you know, Bob conversation, because yeah. I think that if Dargo had been awake the whole time, there would be no reason for John to be like, well, we survived because Aaron picked us up and now we're here and now she's going looking for food and we don't know where Moya is. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Is catching him up. Yeah. yeah. And it gives a good way for the audience to catch up. And yeah, so it's really well done. But then Aaron shows <laughs> up. Aaron, who has been talking to Crease, shows up and Dargo tries to have that same moment he had with John with her where he's like, Hey, I'm so, I'm so glad to see you. You're alive. We're alive. We're alive. And Aaron just completely shuts down. She is frigid to them. Yeah. She is so cold and so brusque and she's like making it out to be, I got to go find food and water and all this stuff because she's hiding the fact that she's talking to Grace and she doesn't want to let them know that she made a deal with Crace because she knows as a betrayal of their hatred of Crace, you know, and they've been fighting against him for so long and she doesn't want to admit that that's what she's doing and she can't she can't hold together that facade and you know she goes out for one more meeting with Crace but when she comes back the next time John actually calls her on it and he's like you're hiding something from us and actually I want to play that that clip because he invokes their friendship in order to get her to admit that she's hiding something. How many times have we saved each other's lives? I've lost count. Safe to say more than once? Sure. Right, and how many times have you and I been close? 
No, 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 not that kind of close. Oh, um, friend close. Yes. Um, <clears throat> uh, um, more than once. Yeah, right, well, whatever our relationship is, we should be in a place where we can trust one another. I think you're holding something back. Look me in the eye. Look me in the eye. Tell me that I'm wrong. You're not going to like what I have to say. Oh, maybe not. <laughs> oh my God, I'm dying. <laughs> Because that really long pause in the middle is her, like, looking at John, being like, are you serious? And her kind of, like, looking at Dargo and kind of, like, being like, you really want to bring this up in front of Dargo? Yes. <laughs> that one time that we were close, which she's referring to is when they had sex and the human reaction. And I like that that's kind of where, where she she takes it. She's taking it to the, to the gutter, I guess, as it were. And then John's, like, completely unsubtle recovery from that. Dargo totally knows. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's impossible not to know. <laughs> well, I mean, he walked in on them about to do it what, in Yo, the yeah. flag, so yeah. I don't yeah. think Dargo's surprised. <laughs> yeah, so talk about another very smooth way to remind the audience where this relationship between John and Aaron is. I mean, that's a pretty good way of showing, hey, these two are close, they've you know, saved each other's lives. They've had these meaningful moments. And oh, by the way, they slept together. <laughs> <laughs> but it does it in a way that's completely awkwardly natural. Yeah. Naturally awkward or something like that. Yeah. And it's, it's a good conversation too, because I think that her being so cold to Dargo is like such a slap in the face. And I think it almost, it feels a little bit like it sets their relationship back. Do you know what I mean? And I think it also yeah. sets back her relationship with John because their whole thing is, you know, her and Dargo have been have become very, very close friends. And her and John have become very, very close. And then now all of a sudden you have this situation where she is doing something that puts their friendship at, in jeopardy. And I yeah. think that it's it is a really it it is kind of hard. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well it's it hinges on they've built up this trust. She's built this great trust with Dargo, she's built this great trust with John, and here she is betraying that. And it's not just by her talking to Grace, it's that she won't tell them. She doesn't trust them enough to handle the news well, which, to be fair to them, you know, they've gone through horrific experiences with Grace. They're not going to react well, and she knows that, and that's what she's trying to avoid, except it doesn't actually make the situation better. And I do, I do like that the episode just gets it out of the way early because that's a fairly early conversation and they don't, they don't dwell on this reveal at all. They just like, they get it out of the way. And I, and the strength of the characters and the relationships allows them, allows them to do that. So it's not this big mystery for the episode. Mm -hmm. It's, it's part of the drama and of moving the plot forward. Yeah. And it gets it out of the way really early because this episode has so much going on. We, I mean, we, this episode is very condensed. Because then immediately what happens is they react exactly the way she expected them to react, which is that they both flip out. Completely. And, and then Dargo knocks her out using his tongue 
knock out. I'm so glad the tongue thing comes back. I love it whenever Darga uses his tongue like that. So they knock her out, and then John is like, I'm going to go get Crease. And so (laughs) he does, and he and Crease never really had a chance to have that same confrontation that Aaron and he did. And so he shows up on Talon, and he starts playing this character that we see a lot of post the chair. You know, post the chair. This is a character we start seeing him play a lot of, which is the I'm insane, you don't know what I'm going to do character. Mm -hmm. And this is, you know, it's his persona that he puts on as a protection against the people that hurt him or might hurt him. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's the post-traumatic stress persona, I guess. I mean, he was deeply hurt by the chair and everything the peacekeepers did to him. And, you know, he did kind of have a moment with Crace. You know, that confrontation in Family Ties where he's sitting against the the wall and, and Crace admits that, you know, he realizes it wasn't John's fault that his brother died. But it was not the same kind of vindication that Aaron got when she put Crace into the chair or, you know, and saw him hurt. You know, he never got to hurt Crace back in a way that he feels like he needs to. Mm-hmm. Whether or not it's healthy, that's the kind of thing that feels missing from John and Crace's relationship, you know? Yeah, is that kind of, like, antagonistic confrontation. Because, yeah, yeah, they kind of did, they had that really good, like, solid conversation where Crace kind of was able to put the whole John situation in firmly in a box. Do you know what I mean? Like, Crace was kind of like, this is it, we're done. I have this conversation with you, goodbye. But at the end of that, John... You know, I think he got closure, but he didn't really because Crace was essentially, it's kind of like when you're so angry about something and then you go up to somebody and you're like, I'm really angry about this. And you want them to be angry about it too. And instead they're kind of like, oh yeah, you know, I kind of got over that. (laughs) I'm over it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And and that's, that's the Crace we see now. He has moved on from that anger that he had towards Crichton. And John has not moved on from his anger at Crace, partly because Crace kidnapped Talon, and that's what he brings into it. So John comes on as this kind of crazy person, or this crazy persona, or his as his superhuman. Like he's going to make all the jokes and references he can to Earth to, as we've talked about, as being a defense mechanism. But it's like turned into overdrive right now, and he wants to know what Crace wants, and it comes back into this whole custody battle that we've been talking about that we set up at the beginning of the theme of the episode. So I want to play that conversation. I'm unarmed. You can kill me easily. Be warned, however. Talon regards me as a friend. Interesting. I heard that you had a long way to go in that department. I have. Nevertheless, I believe he would react badly to my death and retaliate by killing you. Oh. Well, but... If you're dead, he's out of your clutches. Fair price to pay, I'd say. Consider this. Neither of us wants to see Talon in Scorpius's hands. Okay. I give. What do you want, Grace? Simply to escape. To travel deeper into the uncharted territories. To re-examine my path. You want to have a midlife crisis? Fine. That just... 
ditch the firm, head off to Maui, shack up with the supermodel, but you do not get to keep the Porsche. You don't get the keys to Moya's baby. Helen? Intruder. Ugh. Yeah, right? So it's like, on the one hand, you have Krace, who is starting to form a bond with Talon. Not perfect yet, but it's there. Enough so that he can call an intruder alert on John and Talon reacts. You have Krace, who is basically doing the very smart thing of trying to align his goals with Crichton's goals so that they have a reason not to kill each other. You know, he's like, we both want to protect Talon from, we both want to protect Talon from Scorpius, so we should work together on that. And that's the argument he's used successfully with Aaron. And you have John just not buying it. He is, he is there to die trying if it means that getting Talon away from Crace, because to him, Crace is so far on the evil side of the scale because of what he's done, how he reacted to John, in the first place, how he rejected everything and caused his life to be hell. John's that line where he says, as long as it gets talent out of your hands, I'll do it. And then you have that, you know, you get to see his, the analogy brings that it's, you know, the midlife crisis for Krace. And you can have everything except Moya's baby. And that's the crux of it. Mm-hmm. And it kind of is going back to John not having had that closure with Grace because he just genuinely can't see Grace as a good person. Like mm-hmm. he's, even though Grace at this point has kind of done some good things, you know, like he, yeah. he told Aaron where there was a planet that they could land on. And I mean, his interest in talent is incredibly self-serving, right? But mm-hmm. on the other hand, he hasn't done anything to hurt talent. He hasn't turned talent over to Scorpius to get his, you know, to maybe get back on track with the peacekeepers. He hasn't, you know, hurt Talon in any way. He hasn't kidnapped Aaron. He very easily mm-hmm. could have incapacitated, I mean, well, with Talon's help, <laughs> yeah. could have incapacitated Aaron and, you know, locked her up on Talon. You know, they could have kidnapped her. Yeah. And so it's it's like, I mean, on the other hand, all of those are incredibly bad things. So maybe it isn't even <laughs> that he's done good things. It's just that he hasn't done the most evil things he could possibly be doing. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But he has been honest with Talon. Like, he explains why Scorpius is doing different things to try and get him to be drawn out. And so, at least from his pers- the perspective of his relationship with Talon, he's not, it's not even just the most evil thing. He's probably going actually fairly middle of the road with Talon. He's not as best as it could be, obviously, but, but he's not even mildly, I don't even know if I put it mildly, but it's, it's, it's somewhere in between there, and it's it's very ambiguous, and that's definitely what the show is going for with Grace's character here, is him becoming this very ambiguous, morally gray character. Mm-hmm. Which actually also is kind of in line with who Talon is, because mm-hmm. even though Talon is Moya's baby, and we like Moya, and Moya likes her baby. And we like babies. Yeah, and we like babies. <laughs> um, <laughs> we also understand that Talon was not built for peace. Talon is never going to be the same ship that Moya is, content to have a crew that he takes from place to place at their discretion. Yeah, his temperament, you know, is very definitely modified by the peacekeepers when they engineered him to be a warship. Yeah. 
So <laughs> luckily, just as John has kidnapped Crace and got him aboard the Prowler, <laughs> who shows up but Moya? Yep, she comes back, much to the distress of Rigel and Shiana, who definitely do not want to be going back towards the Peacekeeper Command Carrier. But they don't have a choice because Moya's not listening to anybody. And I love, I love Pilot's eye roll when they're talking about taking John's module and escaping. <laughs> Pilot's like rolling his eyes at them because of course he can hear them. Yeah. To the DRD. But in their defense, they do immediately discard this plan. They're kind oh, yeah. of like, yeah. Moya is doing this thing that we don't want her to do. It's dangerous for everybody involved. We should probably leave. And then they're kind of like, eh, but we can't leave. It's a lukewarm. Yeah, it is a lukewarm response. And it's, it's, I think the contrast and how, how Rigel, you know, went to betray them all at the end of, at the beginning of Family Ties and here where they, they consider it, they talk about it, but then they, they deny it outright. Whereas before he was upfront with admitting it. Yeah, it's a, it's a nice little, little growth arc that they've, they've been through. So they come back and again, Chiana is kind of the adult on board <laughs> because Zan is kind of checked out. So John comes aboard, he gets Crace locked up in a cell again, and then he goes to, to check in with the crew, and, and it's Chiana, Rigel, and Zan. Um, Chiana has this great hug for him that she leaps through the air, and I like the two of them, and I'm glad we get to see see their relationship grow this season. But it's Zan, Zan's the one who's checked out. You yeah. see a little bit with the conversation between her and Chiana earlier, but then John comes to talk to her. She's doing Delvian Sikh priest statue training i don't know she's you know meditating she's not acting like zan at all well and i also want to go back just really quickly before we play the clip mm -hmm. the first the, i said the first you know scene in this in the episode was john you know dargo waking up and it being disorienting but that is, isn't actually the first scene the very first scene is moya being fired upon by a xiang ship and zan keeps screaming Dargo is going to save us. Dargo will talk mm. to them. Dargo will save us. And Shiana is like, what are you talking about, Zan? <laughs> Dargo is not here. And so Zan is having a flashback to PK Tech Girl. And Shiana is the only person on board that is, like, there. Other than Pilot that yeah. is, like, conscious. And it's yeah. just... So that's kind of, like, the setup that we have for Zan. Is Zan, you know, having flashbacks, not being all there. And now she's doing this Delvian Seek training. So let's listen to her first interaction with John, who has just recently returned. I apologize for shouting at you, John. <laughs> that's okay. Um, when exactly was that? When Lidakara... I accused you of not being there for me. I realize now that that wasn't true. That I've... Gar. Don't think that I've been there, but I'm here now. Yes, your spirit is with me. The flesh is unimportant. No, it's kind of important. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> oh, 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 I'm not dead? She thinks I'm dead. I'm real. Yes, John. You always will be to me. <laughs> so Chiana's there in the background, and I just want to point out real quick, Chiana's facial expressions while she's watching this, she's like, she knows everything's messed up. She's seeing how John's going to play it, and so she's 
she's kind of the peanut gallery in the corner being like, yeah, see how messed up this is? This is what I've been dealing with. (laughs) (laughs) And I love how John thinks that like telling her like, hey, no, 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 I'm not dead is going to solve the situation. And she's completely, she's like, oh no, your, you know, corporeal form is unimportant, you know? (laughs) Yeah. So, but it's, it's kind of distressing to watch though, because Zan has always been one of the stable rocks. You know, she's like the practical one. She's the compassionate one. She She's always been there for the other characters. Like, she's been one of the people that they could turn to in many instances when they're having trouble. And here she is so clearly out of it. And it's distressing to see someone who's otherwise so reliable being so hurt that she has basically turned John into a hallucination. Mm-hmm. You know, like she she really thinks that she is hallucinating him right there. What do you think causes her breakdown? Like, what do you think caused her breakdown? Well, I'm going to point out that the whole Litigara thing, I know it sounds confusing in this episode. And if it's the first time you're watching, you probably completely missed it. It does come back in a later episode as a flashback. I think part of it is is twofold. It's like watching them go to certain death. I think that really shook her because they were going out into space they're going to basically a suicide run to crash the explosives explosives in the in the transport pod to destroy the base when they leave they have no hope of rescue because there's peacekeepers all over the place and Aaron can't get to them and then Moya has to leave or die and i think feeling like she abandoned them and feeling like she couldn't she couldn't help them and then feeling like they were dead because there was no hope in the situation i think that took its toll on her mm. Okay, yeah, I believe that. And actually what ends up happening was, even though the rest of them are like, oh, okay, she's having a mental breakdown, when Aaron and Dargo come back on board, Aaron is actually the only one to really call Zan on what she's doing. Mm-hmm. Because at this point, Zan is kind of like, oh yeah, they're all alive, but oh well, whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. She's going to devote herself to the Sikh, and she's she's going to be, be doing Delvian priest things from now on. Yeah, so I want to play a quick clip between Aaron and Zan, because it, again, we've talked in the past about how Aaron and Zan don't really have a really well-developed relationship, which actually, I do find it a little bit of a bummer on Farscape sometimes, because you have really great male-male friendships, you have really great female-male friendships, and yet the female-female friendships are, sometimes feel really shallow, you know? And so yeah. that is kind of a that is kind of a note for me that I that when you're watching it as a teenager you don't really notice but then after after another decade or two of media consumption you're kind of you begin to notice mhm and gender studies and fandom yeah and gender studies and fandom yeah you know <laughs> essentially the phd that is talking about fandom in <laughs> or that is essentially the phd that is talking about tv shows you like in fandom but so it is kind of a bummer that that the show never really does female friendships that well which isn't to talk poorly about the rest of the friendships because i think that there there aren't a lot of other shows that do relationships the way that farscape does but at the same time, Zan and Aaron don't really have a close relationship that we've seen on screen. So this confrontation actually comes from a place of it's that person in your friend group that you're not incredibly close with. But when they call you on something, it is so true. Do you know what I mean? Because they're coming at it from a slightly yeah. outside perspective. 
So this isn't John yeah. or Dargo or or Pilot or somebody that she has a very close relationship with calling her on it. This is somebody that she kind of is like, oh, yeah, I like you and I know you and we're kind of friends. But, you know, and this is Aaron because we live together. Yeah, we're roommates, you know, and this is Aaron dropping a giant truth bomb on Zan. Yeah, here we go. I'll never be finished. This is a different phase of the seek. Well, I just wanted to see how you were. Uh... I love you. You what? I love you. Oh, yes, I did hear it the first time. And you know what? I, I, I love all living beings. The Seekers reopened my eyes to the wonder of the spirit. I am now going to devote my life to enlightenment. Oh. Well, I think that's, um, really selfish, actually. You know, before you bliss off completely into oblivion, you might want to have a little look around you because Moya and Talon are in danger. Worldly concerns do not interest me now. Oh, really? Well, then don't give me any dren about how much you love me. Love in its most rarefied sense. Too rarefied for me. I'm just an ignorant warrior who believes that love means you're willing to fight and die for your fellow living beings. The hurt in Aaron's voice as soon as the tone changes when she's like, that's so selfish of you. It's just, you can hear the emotion she has bottled up finally coming out. And she's so frustrated with the situation with Talon. She's frustrated with the boys because they are thwarting her plan with, you know, her deal with Krace. And it's just boiling over right here because there's no no one else. And she thought she could have Zan's support in some way. And and she's not there. And I think that, you know, it really surprised me the first time I watched it. And even seeing it again here, kind of knowing it was happening. It's just like not something I was really expecting to come out of Aaron's mouth. Yeah. In a funny way. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, that's totally true. I think that it is kind of a shock for Zan, too. Because Zane yeah. does definitely does not expect anybody to confront her on this, you know. Yeah, and you actually you can actually see that it does affect Zan. Um, I, we didn't catch it on the audio that we just played, but that chiming is her doing a motion as part of a ritual motion over and over again, chime, chime, and then when after Aaron leaves, it goes clank. It's like a very discordant sound. It's no longer chiming, and you can that's the the audible manifestation of Zan's it really getting to her Aaron's words and then breaking through mm -hmm. so <laughs> so Zan and Aaron have that confrontation and I think it is kind of a good I don't know eruption point for both of them because Aaron essentially leaves this meeting and Talon comes and he is really 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 upset that they've taken Grace away and I think that it's kind of one of those things that, ironically, John made the situation so much worse by taking Crace away. Because, yeah, I don't know, I tell, me, tell me what you think about this. I think that if Crace had stayed on board and then Moya had showed up, Talon probably would have listened more to Moya. Because even at the beginning of the episode, he's really, really sad. His mom left him. His mom left. And he's like, I don't understand. Yeah. And, you know, he's really upset. And, yeah. And then... And then John comes along <laughs> and he takes Crace, which is kind mm -hmm. of what Crace had been like telling him the whole time of like, oh, they don't, right. you know, they don't want me to have you because I'm, I tell you the truth and because I treat you like a peacekeeper, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And then, 
John comes around and does exactly what Crace he he kind of works right into this fantasy thing. Yeah. Well, I think it's almost worse than that. I mean, I'm kind of recanting what I said earlier about Crace not being the most evil, but there actually is uh, just just remembered one of kind of an evil thing he does do here. He he tells Talon at the beginning, Moya abandoned you as if she wanted to leave him behind and not that Crace engineered the situation where she would have no choice. And he frames it as Moya abandoned you, but here I am. I'm your loving Uncle Crace. I'm going to take care of you if you do what I say, and we will be fine that way. And it's like it's like grooming Talon to only want Crace. And I think that plays definitely into why Talon gets so upset when Crace leaves, because even though he doesn't fully trust Crace at the beginning, and Aaron has been helping him trust Crace. And so Aaron's been telling him who he does trust. Aaron has been telling him that Crace is interested in your best in doing what's right by you. So he's he's started to trust Crace and then suddenly he's had had him taken away. And I think you're absolutely right. It does make the situation worse. And then when Smoya starts chasing after Talon, because he has a head start when he leaves the asteroid field, you know, that just makes it worse too, because he's like this person that abandoned me and took my basically took my person that I was about to get attached to and nothing is making sense to Talon at all. He doesn't know who to trust. And the person who has wormed his way into the best position is Crace. And that's when we get Talon demanding to have him back. Yeah. I think grooming is a very good way of putting it. I think grooming is a very good way of putting it because it's... God, this got so much creepier than I thought it was going to. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think like the more you think about it, the creepier it gets. Because it goes back to Talon being a child. Do you know what I mean? Like Talon being... An infant, essentially. Yeah. And he's he's on that critical stage of forming bonds with who he will be trusting for the rest of his life. Yeah. It's, I don't know, it's not cool. Not cool, Crace. Talon demands Crace back at gunpoint with his weapons trained on Moya. Moya's defense shield is fried after one shot. And I love, <laughs> I love Chiana's sarcasm when Pilot reports that. She's like, no, really? <laughs> <laughs> and and so Aaron decides that she is going to go with Crace back to Talon because she thinks that that is the best solution. And oh my God, John is not happy about that. So I'm going to play that because it's like this moment of are we going to lose Aaron or not in this custody battle? I'm going to take Crace to Talon. And then what? We leave Talon in Crace's control? Here's Ad mine. I'll stay aboard Talon with Crace. Whoa, 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 whoa. For how long? For as long as necessary to protect Alan. He's very intelligent, John. Once he matures, he'll no longer want a captain. Yeah, but Aaron, in the meantime... I'll be there to mitigate any damage that Grace does. Grace is never going to go for that. Yes, he will. He's already offered to take me with him. And you do that. I don't have another choice. There are always choices, Aaron. The only other choice is death for everyone, Talon included. Well, I'm not going to let you go with him. There isn't another solution. There has to be. We're out of time. So in our custody custody arrangement, now the new proposal is joint custody between Aaron and Crace over Talon. And they get 
you know, they're living in another town now, away from Moya and the rest of the crew. And John, not just upset mm-hmm. that she's going to go to be with Chris, I think he's also completely upset that she is leaving him and the crew. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah, he's very upset. I mean, I do have to admit, John kind of has this weird... This whole conversation has this weird proprietary language he uses that I was not terribly on board with, where he's like, well, I'm not going to let you do that. And I'm like, dude, she's a fully grown adult woman. (laughs) She can do whatever she wants, John. Yeah. John is definitely super upset at the idea of Aaron leaving. And and it's no longer just that this idea that Grace will get Talon. I think, though, that Aaron is overestimating Talon's independence, though. Because... Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Talon wouldn't have Crace had maybe half an hour on Talon and he managed to convince Talon to go deeper into the asteroid even though Talon's own mother was telling him hey stick close we've got this plan I'm gonna starburst us away and so I think that Talon does crave a commander Mm -hmm. do you know what I mean and I think that That Crace really picked up on that, and so that's what he's giving Talon. But I think Aaron is overestimating the fact that Talon, at some point in his life, would not want a commander. Mm-hmm. Yeah, someone to make those kinds of decisions for him, especially in this situation where he's got Peacekeeper Command Carrier with Scorpius on it coming. He's got Moya chasing after him, basically screaming, come back, come back, come back, because she's freaking out and not handling it well. You've got Aaron... And John saying, hey, we want to help you, but then doing contradictory things for him, like taking Crace away. And you have Crace who's saying, your mom abandoned you. I'm here to take care of you. Let's go. And so who's he going to trust in all of this? There's, there's, there's no way for him to have value judgments in all of these things because he doesn't have the experience. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't know any of them. Like the instinctual bond he should have with Moya did not form because he's so different from her. Yeah. He doesn't have that kind of backup. I know. Poor poor Talon. Poor Talon. Oh, poor baby. So, Grace and, and Aaron go back on Talon, and John and Aaron do not say goodbye again, single tear. Anyway, so, <laughs> so they, um, Grace and, and Aaron go back on Talon, and that's when we have that creepy scene we talked about earlier with the hand and the neural connection, and then Crace immediately kicks Aaron off of Talon. And then we have this great moment because Scorpius is closing in, but he's not close enough to fire yet. And as kind of his last goodbye parting shot at Scorpius, the man who he thinks ruined his life, he just has this great like face off with Scorpius. And I want to play it because I can't even do it justice. The gunship is secured. And I am resigning my peacekeeper commission effective immediately. Chris, cease this nonsense. As for Crichton, he is dead. I killed him with my bare hands. My brother is avenged. Here ends my report. Captain, fire upon both the Leviathans. Uh, Grace is such a drama queen. Oh my god. Here ends my report. It's like, you know, I don't know, Spike from Buffy. Here endeth the lesson. It's just like, oh. (laughs) (laughs) It's so good. One especially because he, now that he doesn't have his whole life wrapped around the idea of his hands around John's throat, 
he he can kind of see the best way to push other people's buttons. Like we've talked about yeah. Scorpius the manipulator here. But even though Scorpius knows he's being manipulated, like even though Scorpius knows that Crace didn't kill John, the idea of it still gets him so angry that he uses that like low, deep, scaring voice. You know what I mean? <laughs> he's just yeah. so like he's so like this is not he Scorpius is not used to his plans not going according as planned. Yeah. He's so pissed off at Crace for not for not being the convenient pawn piece that he needs him to be. Yeah. And it's, oh, it's so great. So, Crace blasts away, he starbursts away, and <laughs> Scorpius <laughs> is going to torture whoever the tech is who <laughs> told him, yeah. That but, said that, that baby Leviathans couldn't starburst because clearly Talon can. And Moya shortly follows after also into Starburst. And then the episode ends with Dargo and Zan. They have a talk about her being like, I'm going to slow down the seek because I actually do really love you guys and I want to spend time with you. And then Aaron and, and John are in the den with Pilot. And it's this very intimate scene because even though they've only had sex once, I think this show is very good about it's not a will they, won't they thing because the way that John is... The way it's set up is John is leaning back against the pilot's command and Aaron is in between his legs, you know, and he's hugging her from behind and she's leaning back into him. And this is a very intimate, very couple thing to do. Mm-hmm. He's even also playing with her hair, which is also extremely intimate. Yeah. I mean, this show never plays with will they, won't they? The complications in Aaron and John's relationship are always about two people coming from such different places mm-hmm. trying to make a life together. Yeah, and they have to grow towards each other first. And it's really it's really nice to have the physical intimacy that they have that they have here. Even though, you know, it's something that they haven't really shied away from in the past either. There's no like when they've touched each other, they've protected each other, they've tackled each other to the ground. They're, they are very physical with each other in a lot of different ways that is a product of their growing closer in their friendship, but they're not like overtly sexual necessarily. I mean, sometimes they are, but the show doesn't shy away from having them be close to each other in a physical sense, whether or not there's sex in play with it. And I really like that because it shows that they are comfortable with each other, that they're the relationship and their eventual romance is built on something that's deeper than just sexual attraction. Mm-hmm. There's a real fundamental trust with that kind of physicality that goes along with it. Yeah. And so they end up having this conversation about Crace. Um, and I think it's they're trying to bring closure to everybody. They're trying to bring closure to themselves. They're trying to bring closure to Moya and Pilot. And I'm not 100% that it works. It kind of works. But, you know, it doesn't have to bring 100% closure because this is, remember, a season premiere episode. It's opening up season two for the audience. So we're wrapping up the cliffhanger that we were left with, but then they are opening the door for these new storylines. Like, what is going to happen with Grace and Talon now that they're off in the uncharted territory somewhere? Mm-hmm. How is Zan going to move forward with her seek? How are Aaron and John going to move forward with each other and... You know, there changed circumstances after this whole episode with, you know, John's trauma in dealing with that. Mm-hmm. So I like that it's kind of open-ended, you know? Yeah. And so essentially the the gist of their conversation is that um, they're asking the question, can people change? Did Grace change? And mm-hmm. then Aaron kind of points out, like, hey, I changed. 
mm-hmm. you know, and it does kind of, it is kind of a nice resting place, I think, for the, the first episode. Yeah. And it also, I think the last word is from John, who's wondering, he says, you changed, I change, but can Crace change? And that's kind of the open question for the season is, is who is Crace now is kind of where we're left and what he's going to be. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. All right. So I think that was the episode. Yep. On Wardrobe Watch, no major changes for this episode since we picked up right after the end of last episode. But I will point out that Dargo, the character, got a bit of a makeover. They redid the headdress for Dargo because I think Anthony Simcoe couldn't really turn his head very well in the old headdress. And so this new one is an updated version. And they they darkened his skin color. And they attribute it, I think, to his being exposed to space for so long. So that's Dargo's main change. Everyone else is fairly similar to how they were dressed at the end of season one. Mm-hmm. Uh, except, except for Crace, as we noted. He's, he's pulled himself together. Oh, I did want to note one thing. Scorpius, when we open on him for the episode, we actually open on this thing spiraling out of his head. And this little red rod mm-hmm. that has to be replaced by his PK tech with a blue rod. And that's all I'm going to say about that. But that becomes very important later. Mm-hmm. But that's that's how we open on Scorpius this season is, hey, he's got something weird going on in his head and not just his shifty plans. <laughs> I know. Keep an eye on that one, people. All right. What would you give this episode? Um, I give it a I give it a four. You know, yeah. it's solid. I think it's it's above average. It's not like some of the stellar episodes of season one that was just like knock the socks off yet, but it's a very solid opening to the season. And I really like it a lot. Yeah. I mean, I think that this is one episode where the condensed nature almost does the episode harm because there's a lot of moments that don't get any time to breathe. Do you know what I mean? And there's like also a lot of interactions that are kind of like we assume happened off screen. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's kind of it's it's a really good solid episode, you know. Yeah. I think if this was your first episode of, of Farscape, hopefully you would still want to watch it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, can I bring up one last thing because this it becomes a theme? Yeah. This is also the first episode that we have John teaching Dargo how to play rock, paper, scissors. Oh, I forgot. Yeah. Oh my god, it's so good. <laughs> and like he's playing it, and then John's like, No, 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 paper beats rock. And John is like er, and Dargo's like, that is completely unrealistic. <laughs> and yes it is but those are the rules and it's a kids game so anyway i just want to point that out next week we have what do we have mortis okay well i don't remember that one so that's going to be an interesting one to (laughs) rewatch. yeah all right well we will see you next week if you want to get in contact with us we are on tumblr gmail dream with and all of those addresses are farscape friday podcast one word one word and we're on itunes rate us there if you listen to us there and uh, we will see you next time bye